Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 4, Episode 20 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. So after my experience in Dublin, I spent a bit of time working in an pediatric oncology ward back in a hospital in Rome, and it that experience was very tough, was one of those experiences that I didn't expect to face. So I kind of realized how difficult it was for these healthcare professionals to be, you know, to to experience that daily stress of supporting families with children with cancer. It was a very tough experience that really made me think that I wanted to help these people. And because obviously I, back then I, I kind of knew the potential of psychological flexibility as a, a way to help these people. So I thought, well, when I, when I saw the PhD adverts, I thought this is exactly the kind of work I like to do. And that's, you know, how then I ended up doing a PhD in this. P-Supers, I'm delighted to share part one of my chat with Dr. Arianna Prudenzi. Arianna is a research fellow at the University of Birmingham, and her research focuses on promoting mental health in the workplace, right up our alley. In this episode, we'll find out a bit more about her and what drives her to make such a valuable contribution through her work. You'll also hear about Ariana's ambitions and galactic interests, her career path, the challenges of learning a language, and her passion for dance. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun to nourish your mind, to flourish at work. Let's take a quick scoot over to the news desk. Reviews are in for our last episode, Helping. Steve Jones, our very own Yorkshireman, said, This resonates. Many times while playing footy I've clashed heads and said, Nope, nope, I'm fine, despite knowing I almost certainly have concussion. The context demanded I didn't appear one down. Accepting help exposes us to our vulnerability, and it's hard. Cheers, Ross. Well, thanks very much, Steve, for giving us that brilliant example. Again on Twitter, Rachel Lee said, Enjoyed this, Ross. Good to think about the imbalance and the helping relationship when facilitating training. I agree that the magic often happens during the reflective moments, away from the slides. Very true in the psychological boost workshops for midwifery stuff I've been delivering. And Rachel went on to say, You might have a little chuckle, too, if you've ever been a fan of Coronation Street. Well, thanks to Steve, Rachel, and to everyone who's listened, shared, and reviewed. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part one of my chat with Dr. Arianna Prudenzi. Hey, supers, I'm delighted to be here with Dr. Arianna Prudenzi. Arianna, welcome to People Soup. Hello. Hi, Ross. Thank you so much for inviting me to be your guest at People's Soup today. Hi, I'm very excited to be here. Right back at you. I'm, I'm giddy. So, Ariana, you'll probably be familiar with my research department who have a look at the background of my guests and I'm going to tell you what they've found out about you and we'll see how right they are. So it says here, Ariana completed her undergraduate degree in psychology and later a two-year MSc in clinical and health psychology at La Sapienza University. Yes, that's very correct. (laughs) Excellent. Well, a good start for my research department. In my head, La Sapienza University is in Rome. Is that correct? Yes, it is. 
It is in Rome and I am Italian. Yes, so tough few. We got that right. And you received an award of excellence for your MSc studies. Yes, I, I did. And that uh, was a great honour to, to receive that, for sure. And hey, that wasn't the only award. You were awarded a visiting researcher scholarship in the School of Psychology at Arizona State University. And then in 1617, you received an EU research placement to conduct research at the famous University College Dublin Contextual Behavioral Science Lab at the School of Psychology. Big up to the UCD CVS lab. Yes, with a fantastic and amazing Professor Louise McHugh. Yes. Yes. It's all good to correct. The legend, (laughs) the legend that is Professor Louise McHugh. She is. She is the queen. (laughs) (laughs) She's fantastic. She's a fantastic academic and uh, also a person. Absolutely. And then we come closer to the present day. You did your PhD at the University of Leeds and your thesis was entitled Mental Health and Burnout in Healthcare Professionals Exploring the Role of Psychological Flexibility. Boom. (laughs) Yes, Ross, it's all correct. I'm so impressed you know everything about me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hold your horses, there's more to come. And this is one of the reasons I'm so giddy to have you on the show. I see you as a dedicated and prolific in your research, and you're making such an exciting contribution to the field of mental health and well-being at work and contextual behavioral science too. So chapeau to you. Oh, thanks, Soros. The same goes to you. I'm so pleased that we have a common uh, research interest and, you know, especially in the field of CBS. So I'm very pleased to be here today and share more about this. And my buddy, my partner in crime, Flaxy Babes, as I know him, but others will know him as Dr. Paul Flaxman, is in awe of you. Paul Flaxman is a fantastic person, a fantastic mentor for me, and I'm so pleased that we've had loads of different opportunities to collaborate and still work together on very exciting projects. So it's been a fantastic opportunity for me to meet him during my PhD and to learn from him. Wonderful. I learn from him on a daily basis, Ariana. so I'm with you there. So there are a couple more things that my research department have uncovered, which may or may not be true. They say you have a deep fascination with space and harbour what I consider to be an entirely legitimate ambition to be an astronaut. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think you are right also in this. I actually love space and uh, in another life I would like to become an astronaut only if I wear smart enough. But yes, I I, am very fascinated about space and I I see astronauts as very dedicated and passionate human beings. So I've, you know, in my spare time, when I have some time, I, you know, really like enjoying space movies, 
I'm fascinated about stars, but also, as I said, you know, what really fascinates me about space are probably astronauts and how these human beings can really dedicate them, their lives to science and to discovery and to really fearful things mm. for their passion and to contribute to, you know, knowledge to the world. Wow, because I, I think one of my aspirations as, as the host of this podcast is to hold up a mirror to people because mm. I see that dedication and passion in you in your field of research so there are distinct similarities between you and astronauts and as I say I still think it's an entirely legitimate ambition for you. <laughs> you are too kind Ross I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well astronauts are just for me you know really amazing uh, people but I have to say that you are right in, in terms of, you know, values probably because one of my values at work is contribution. So I do see them as human beings that probably, you know, do think that they do contribute to, to science and I would like probably to do the same as well. Mm. Well, let's explore that further. There's one other thing my research department came up with. And that was that you're in secret talks with the British Broadcasting Corporation to be one of the guests in the next series of Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very funny one. Uh, <laughs> well, I wish I could. Uh, to be fair, I'm not that good at all, but definitely very passionate about dancing for sure. Again, very right there. Dancing is one of my, probably is my favorite hobby. And I believe that that has always been a hobby for me since I was a little kid, probably since I was six years old. So I started dancing as a very young uh, child. But back then I was doing something that it was pretty different from what I'm doing right now, was, which was contemporary dancing and mm. content improvisation dance so it's, it's, i suppose it's a form of dancing that really relates to art as well and it's all about improvisation and being able to express yourself so it's quite different from what you know people think about dancing because i suppose ballet is is a big thing in the world and i you know don't get me wrong i love ballet but I always been more a contemporary dancer till I moved to the UK because then in the UK I discovered the fantastic amazing world of jazz. I think I actually discovered swing dancing which is the thing that really fascinates me the most up to the moment through jazz music because I think UK jazz is you know it's a big thing and do love it. So for those people supers are not familiar with swing, swing dancing, swing dancing is actually a group of social dancers that developed with a swing style of jazz music in the 1920s, 1940s. And I think the best known of these dancers is perhaps Lindy Hop, but also there is Balboa, Collegiate, Shag and, and Charleston. So there are, there are a group of different dancers. And I think the, the thing that is common to all these dancers is the fantastic, uplifting music. So with the pandemic, it's been really difficult to dance because most of these dancers are obviously partner dancers. So 
yeah, probably during the pandemic, my, my favorite one has become Charleston because Charleston can also be, be danced solo. And also is, a, again, you know, very kind of um, uplifting type of dance. Thank you so much. And I leave you to have your, your talks with the BBC. And I think, <laughs> be, I think all the P-Supers would be voting for you every week. Obviously, there's an enormous audience we have. They'll be voting for you every week as a as a wonderful dancer and a psychologist. Now I've got an I've got an invitation for you as well, because Ariana, I don't know if you know, but I work with ballet companies in the UK. Yes, I've seen that, and I'm actually very interested in knowing more about this because I love you know dancing, all types of dancing, really. So next time I'm in the UK and we can work out our calendars. Let's go and see a production somewhere because I work with Northern Ballet, which is in Leeds. Yes, I actually seen them. I have worked with Birmingham Royal Ballet, which is another connection for you. Yes. In London, the Royal Ballet and Rambert, which is a contemporary company. Oh, amazing. Absolutely. And Scottish Ballet. So at some point... We have to go. <laughs> you and me... We'll have that conversation about dance and ballet and contextual behavioral science. Absolutely. That would be brilliant. That would be really interesting, Ross. Absolutely. I'm up for it. Great. So, Ariana, I've taken you on the findings from my research department. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just sharing a bit more about your background and your career, how you've got to where you've got to today, perhaps sharing some pivotal moments along the way. Yeah, I'm very pleased to do that. So I suppose that there have been two significant experiences that have been critical to my, you know, my, my research and clinical journey. So the first one has been during my experience in Arizona. So back then I was a young researcher. So I was interested in, in research since very, you know, since my, my early years of university. But I suppose that that experience in Arizona um, was really the experience that made a difference in my life. I understood back in 2015 that I really wanted to become a researcher that the value of contribution was very important to me. And um, even though back then I was doing something that uh, was pretty different from what I'm doing now because I was involved in a very big study in trying to understand how parenting styles affect children's behavior. For example, you know, anxiety, depression in nine different countries. And this was large longitudinal studies where children, you know, when we're enrolled in study, were about a year old and would end up being 18 year old to the end of the study so it was really large just study and being involved in that environment with so many different countries and in a very exciting research environment like at Arizona I understood that was what I wanted to do in my life so that was very important. And then obviously, I think the second kind of critical experience I had was with Professor Louise McHugh, which for me, she is an academic role model together with a lot of other people. But Louise was the 
the person that initiated me to the world of uh, contextual behavioral science. So back then I didn't know anything about ACT. So when I went to Dublin, she she introduced me very briefly through an exchange of emails to what, you know, this, the world of CBS could be like, but I actually didn't know it. So for me, it was so such an amazing experience so that I actually didn't plan to spend in Dublin 15 months. So when I went there, I actually planned to stay for four months, but I ended up doing quite a few things, exciting things, together also with Professor Nani Presti, which again was was another of those uh, people that were very inspiring for me, and um, that you know we've done quite a lot of nice work. Um, so I suppose this very like very important moments uh, for me that let me then do my PhD. So the reason why I've done my PhD you know, using psychological flexibility has been driven by these two kind of experiences. Yeah, mm. so I've made this decision back in 2017 to to focus on healthcare professionals. So the, the reason why I decided to focus my work on this group of people doing my PhD was actually driven by a clinical experience. So after my experience in Dublin, I spent a bit of time working in an pediatric oncology world back in a hospital in Rome and it, that experience was very tough was one of those experiences that I didn't expect to face so I kind of realized how difficult it was for these healthcare professionals to be you know to, to experience that daily stress of supporting families with children with cancer it was a very tough experience that really made me think that I wanted to help these people and because obviously I back then I, I kind of knew the potential of psychological flexibility as a, a way to help these people so I thought well when I when I saw the PhD adverts I thought this is exactly the kind of work I like to do and that's you know how and uh, then I ended up doing a PhD in this. Wow lovely thank you and I'm going to delve into a couple of points if I may. Um, firstly I'm interested in you you moving from Italy to Arizona to Dublin can I ask, how was your English language skills when you... Um, yeah, this is a very interesting point. So because I'm Italian and, you know, Italians do study English at, at school, I was feeling that I, I was probably going to be, you know, able to conduct research uh, in another country. So my first experience abroad was actually in Arizona. And I thought, well... It's fine because I studied English at school. And then what actually happened when I landed in Arizona on my own was that I could not understand anyone. So I ended up being in actually an American family and I could not understand them. So at the beginning, there was a bit of a language barrier for me. So it took me a little bit of time to, to understand people and then also to actually become more fluent in my English I did have a good English I'm not like because you know because I studied it at school I kind of knew all the basics but the problem was the comprehension was the fact that because I suppose in Italy we 
don't have that exposure. We don't watch movies in English. For me, it was quite hard at first to understand people. So it took me a little bit of time to really get more confident with, with the language. And I have to say that my experience in Dublin helped me a lot with that. So it is, it, it, it's been an incredible experience. I'm so grateful for having done this because now I'm able to communicate with so many different people. And um, I understand though that learning a new language and being really confident with it, it's a very difficult thing to do at first because it's not just about the language, it's psychological, is basically overcoming fears that are different sets of fears like acting uh, for me one of the things that i think helped me the most to to learn a new language was actually imitating the people speaking but for me it's hard because i was shy and i couldn't act as you know the native speakers especially for example when i was in america I mean, you know, people speak in a different way. And for me, it was hard to get to that point of mm. really opening up myself and not be shy. And But that was actually the most helpful exercise. And I remember that at some point I decided to go to, to do some English lessons. And one of my teachers suggested to learn a speech from someone, kind of an actor or a singer, someone I wanted to learn from. So to learn a little speech and to act and imitate that person and that exercise really helped me so much that I would encourage anyone that want to learn a new language to really do that because it helped me to understand that it's not just the language is all about yourself and how you can really integrate into the culture and become one of the native speaker because is, is you know, a different way of thinking, it's a different way of presenting yourself to, to the other people. And uh, it's also a different way of behaving because sometimes being part of a different culture means to, to change the way in which you would normally and automatically behave. You would be more, sometimes being respectful, sometimes queuing more or <laughs> depending on, <laughs> or drinking more. <laughs> joking but it's more like integrating to the culture and sometimes yeah that requires a bit of adjustment mm, thank you oh i'm really grateful for your reflections and peace supers will understand that's a bit of a selfish question from me i'm in awe of your your fluency and your expressivity in english as you know i'm in spain i have a spanish husband and being able to speak to him and my spanish family who don't speak any English is one thing and they are tolerant of my mistakes and the worst thing they do for me is they don't correct my mistakes which reinforces that oh that must be right and then I go and speak to people outside of the family and they look at me like I'm the village idiot kind of thing and I'm like oh people haven't been correcting through through love and understanding but that is not that helpful sometimes and I now have a Spanish teacher Raul who is very good at taking me out of my comfort zone, very supportive, and will not hesitate to point out my errors and explain why and support me in my learning. So it's it's going okay, and it's slow. And there's the whole cultural piece as well, which I find absolutely fascinating. 
Yes, Ross, I completely understand you and I have yeah, a lot of esteem for you trying to learn new language in a new place. It's, it's hard sometimes, uh, but it's also incredibly uh, enriching and, you know, an incredible experience. So it is difficult when people around you trying to be nice with you, but at the same time, you know, might not be the, hel- the most helpful because it's not correct you and it happened to me as well in a different way because obviously uh, it wasn't exactly the same kind of environment but I suppose um, that speaking openly and honestly with all your family really making them understand that for you it's very important that they correct you because you have an objective that you want to reach to be able to speak with them then mm. you know at some point it might be that it might take a bit more time but maybe that at some point they kind of understand that they understand how important it is for you to make an improvement in your Spanish I can't guarantee that that works though <laughs> because yeah. people are nice <laughs> yeah I, well I did notice my my sister-in-law was helping me out a bit when she was visiting recently she was correcting me more and also telling me when she didn't understand which is great for me so she was being supportive and she noticed some progress as well so that was useful I think sometimes people assume because my accent is reasonably good that I'm more fluent than I am so there's various barriers but part of it is just having a go in the shop in the restaurant always making sure I order for myself exactly small things like that start to make a big difference it's really I think an exciting way to put into practice our psychological flexibility I think learning a new language I see what you've done there. You've brought it back beautifully. Yeah. And I was saying in the shop, in the restaurant, talking to my lawyer, oh my God, about residency and learning what apostille <laughs> means. And- that is a new level of difficulty, to be fair. The world of contextual behavior science makes our life more fulfilled and full. There was another point I wanted to go back to. You were talking about when you were first introduced to ACT and Contextual Behavioural Science by Louise. Was there something about it that hooked you that you thought, oh? The first book I read about ACT was The Happiness Trap, which I found really fascinating. And obviously, I suppose many people would resonate with me on that book because it's really impressive the way in which it's written. And the thing that really, I think, was a hook for me was, you know, cognitive diffusion. The fact that I found that technique of disangling and very powerful. And I suppose that, in fact, was my focus uh, of the work I was doing in Dublin. So been trying to work with cognitive diffusion and together with Professor Nanny Presti and the behavioral labs in Sicily, we've tried to understand how we can study cognitive diffusion with the use of virtual reality. So we actually built a pilot study that I thought was quite successful, received quite a lot of attention. So I think cognitive diffusion was the first thing that really kind of impressed me about the ACT model. Because at first, I didn't fully understand the old model. Like, I, I kind of theoretically understand it, but it took me a while before understanding 
understanding what acceptance was, I think I understood fully the problem with control and how to practice acceptance later on. It took me a bit more time because I think, you know, for certain people, psychological flexibility is not that easy to understand. It's a very, I think, subjective experience and I think the more that things happen inside of us the more you know we experience negative events or life events happen and we have to really deal with it Uh, we need to really be psychologically flexible resilient the more I think if we have this tool we can practice it and understand what it actually means to be more psychologically flexible so for me acceptance which is I think you know an incredible powerful way to deal with challenging situations was something that I actually understood a bit later probably not during my experience in Dublin but yeah I I think in Dublin done something really incredible and I think all the focus of my work was more on trying to help people deal with challenging thoughts so it was all focused more on worries and having these disturbing thoughts and what we can do about them so we've used virtual reality to try to test whether it can be a, a tool to deal with cognitive diffusion and these kind of powerful thoughts that can be very intrusive and powerful. Beautiful. And then you went on to continue that deeper dive into ACT in your PhD. And we'll come on to talk about some of your research in, in a moment. But before we do that, I'd really like to just do a set piece in the show where I ask my guests if there's a piece of music that they choose to announce their arrival in a room, whether it's a virtual room like this one or a real room, just for the next few weeks. Something that would play whenever you entered a room. Yes. So I think I like to share uh, a song that is, I think, one of the most common and famous and most uplifting Charleston song. And I think the reason why I chose this song is because with the pandemic, many people haven't been able to go to dance classes, including myself. But I've seen, and from experience, I can tell that if you like dancing, you can also dance in your kitchen. So for me, that has been uh, the song that I've probably danced the most in my kitchen as a solo Charleston little dance in the morning when my mood, you know, at times hasn't been the best during the pandemic as I reckon many people would, would resonate with me. So, yeah, it's a very kind of uplifting song that really, I suppose, aligns with my spirit. I think I'm quite a positive person. And yeah, I hope that people supers enjoy that choice. And I can just picture you with a little, like, <laughs> is this right for the Charleston, like a headband with a feather coming out of it? Is that sort of Charleston? It is uh, the, the, the kind of traditional 1920s outfit. <laughs> it's a great fun to, to wear that for sure. And also the little shoes are great fun as well. Brilliant, brilliant. And that's Charleston by yes. Sam Levine. Do, 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 rodeo, rodeo, rodeo. I don't know, something yeah, exactly like that. Like that. <laughs> That's it, part one in the bag. Thanks so much to Ariana for being such a fabulous guest. Tune in next time to hear all about Ariana's exciting research. 
If you like this episode of the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioral science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, follow, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes for this episode are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. I love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On the Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On the gram, at people.soup. On Facebook, we are peoplesouppod. As ever, thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals. Most of all, dear Lister, thanks to you. Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. Very important question. Pronunciation. Yeah. I would say Ariana Prudenzi. That's perfect. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, bless you. And, <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. And I will also have a go at La Sapienza University. My God, Ross, you sound like Italian. <laughs> stop, stop it, you, you little flatterer. <laughs> I'm not joking. I think. You I know, bet you say that to all the boys. <laughs> no, 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 no.